the MHU podcast in our series, Puzzles About God. So in the first half of this series, we looked at some specific attributes of God that most theists tend to believe in, like God's eternality, God's omnipotence, his omniscience, and his moral perfection. Now we're going to look at some more, uh, some attributes of God that are specific to Christianity. So in particular, we're going to look at God's triunity, the idea that God is a trinity. We're going to give an extended look to that, and then we're going to look at the claim that God became man, and how exactly we can understand that. So today, Austin's going to lead us through the first part of a discussion on the trinity. Take it away, bud. All right, thank you, Patrick. Uh, So this first episode is actually going to focus in on Trinitarian heresies. Heresies, that's a big, fun, scary word. Why would we begin with heresies? Uh, It seems a bit backwards. But in some ways, when we're talking about the Trinity or Christology, um, these attributes of God, we are in many ways just as much saying what not to say or what is not the case as we are saying what is the case. Uh, And this is because to some extent, at the end of the day, these are mysteries. The Trinity is a mystery um, that we will never be able to fully comprehend or grasp. But what we can kind of do is outline a way of speaking about it in which we can talk about God, which is true to the biblical witness, and which gives us models to make sense of these realities as best we can, even if we don't fully understand them at the end of the day. And that's just because if God actually has all the attributes we've talked about in the last four episodes, and we don't, we're never going to fully comprehend that kind of being. And that's okay. So why, why heresies? Or what does it mean for something to be heretical? Well, we have two categories we can think about here. We have orthodoxy, which just means literally straight praise or belief, so right, right belief. And then we have heterodox, which means different belief. And historically, the church has come up with creedal formulas uh, to lay out what we should say about these primary doctrines. But these leave some room for a bit of speculation. So, for example, orthodoxy has generally maintained that salvation is through Christ alone. But exactly how the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Christ affects in us the removal of sin and produces righteousness in us has never been established in a creedal formula, which leaves room for disagreement between Catholics and Orthodox and Protestant traditions, and even within these traditions as to how exactly that plays out. So one thing I I think of when I'm hearing you talk about this is uh, I get the image of like a a game, like a football or soccer or something like that, and... To be able to play the game, you have to set certain boundaries, right? Like for the soccer field, there has to be a, a delineated uh, space that's in bounds and space that's out of bounds, and there have to be some rules of play, or else you can't really have the game. And obviously, trying to think about who God is is not really a game in the sense that you're actually trying to get at the truth, and there's more at stake than a soccer game. But it seems kind of like that is what you're saying, like the uh, thinking about heresy or the difference between orthodoxy and heterodoxy is kind of like establishing the uh, rules of play for the activity of trying to get the trinity right. Is that maybe a good analogy? Yeah, I like that analogy a lot, actually, um, because it ties into this idea that why, why do we care, right? Why do we have these strict boundaries, in a sense? And part of that is because, well, sure, you can pick up the ball and start running with it, but you're not playing soccer anymore, Mm -hmm. right? You've now stepped outside of the game and are no longer 
playing a valid part of the game. So the game isn't very fun anymore, <laughs> and we're no longer playing the game of soccer. Yeah, in this case, maybe uh, what, what we're worried about is not uh, whether you're playing a game that everyone else wants to play or something, but that if you aren't playing, or if you aren't doing the right activity, like if, you, if you're outside of the, the rules that are the boundaries that we're setting, that what you're doing is not going to get at the truth, that mm-hmm. it's not going to be truth apt or something like that. So yeah. in the present context, I take it, what we're thinking about is, um, when we're thinking about the question, how can God be both three and one, what we'll be looking at today is like, which possible answers to that question are out of bounds yeah. for the Christian? Yeah, exactly. What, which, what things could you say that would, what, that would break the rules or take you out of bounds of that? Of that? So how do we know if something counts as orthodox? I want to use two basic tests uh, for orthodoxy that we'll look at uh, over these episodes. And the first one is, does it pass the test of scripture? And this is pretty basic. Does it align fairly and completely with the canon of scripture? So we look at what we have in scripture and is it affirmed or denied uh, from what we have in scripture? The second is, does it pass the test of creedal history? And this is basically just, is it affirmed within the history of church creeds and councils? So this is the church reading scripture, trying to make sense of it, and saying, we think this is the best way to understand the truth about who God is and, and who Jesus is. And there, those are laid down in creedal formulas, like the Nicene Creed and the Chalcedonian Creed. And we can look back at these and see these as sort of a, a test for whether or not something fits into this category within these boundaries of orthodoxy. I do want to make one additional slight distinction here between what we're going to call heterodoxy and heresy. Heterodoxy is, again, it's just different different, or, different than orthodoxy. It's not necessarily against orthodoxy, right? So heterodoxy could just be something that falls outside of what we know from Scripture and what's affirmed in the creeds. Say, for example, that Jesus' favorite color was green, which I think we can all agree green is the best color. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm against that view, but... Really? We'll debate it later. What? Okay. Well, <laughs> wait a minute. And, okay, never mind. Patrick with his his heterodox ex, his heterodox view yeah. from our now formula <laughs> in this podcast that green is the best color. <laughs> but we could say something like this, and you know, we don't we don't know whether or not that's the case, or if Jesus even had a favorite color. Uh, if he did, it probably would be green. But <laughs> these are sort of insignificant things which fall outside the tradition, right? They're not they're not spoken for or against. So they're just outside of orthodoxy. But um, we don't want to throw around something like the term heresy on these sort of sort of views, right? Okay, these kind you. of minor views. We're not going to cast Patrick out of our communion based on his heterodox views about green. Uh, heresy is something that gets at these fundamental questions, right? Who is God? Who is Jesus? Um, questions of salvation, things that the church has come out and taken a stance on and said, this is central to what it means to be a Christian. All right, you can step outside these boundaries, but now you're just no longer a Christian. Right? You're no longer playing the same game, which, of course, we think is tr- getting at the truth about who God is. And so these are very serious claims. So we don't just throw around these claims, uh, but we want to take them, take them seriously. Okay, so... Um... I think we have a good understanding of like what's going on in this distinction between orthodoxy and heterodoxy and, and heresy. Um, and we've got this picture of like 
people playing a game, but where the game is actually like trying to figure out uh, what God is like as a as a three in one kind of being. But I mean, what if someone asks like? Is, isn't it really just kind of a game, like an intellectual game, where you're just trying to solve little puzzles? I mean, we, we actually called this series Puzzles About God, and maybe you might think, understanding the Trinity, yeah, that's just for people who like to solve intellectual puzzles, and, you know, what I want is like a relationship with God, and what does the Trinity have to do with that? Yeah, the, the question of the Trinity as you hinted at, is really this question of who is God. So there are a few aspects of that I think that are we should really care about. One, we should care about idolatry, right? That the, the God that we're worshiping is the true God, as best as we, we can tell and know. And so how do we avoid worshiping a God of our own making? Mm-hmm. And so we want we should really care about knowing who this God is as best we can. Um and also that the goal and purpose is to have intimacy with this God. So like I said, a relationship. And think about it if I, in the context of my own marriage, say I didn't, I, I said, I want to have a relationship with my wife, but I don't, I don't really care if I know all the right things about her, right? It's totally fine if I'm completely wrong about a bunch of facts. I don't know her favorite color. Uh, I don't know what she likes to eat. I don't know what kind of things she likes to do for fun, but that's not that important, right? It doesn't really matter that I know these things about her because I just want a relationship with her. That seems kind of silly to me. <laughs> yeah, even actually, like, uh, what, like whether God is uh, three in one, what that means is, like, such a fundamental part of, of God's being. It's sort of like if you were to say about your wife, like, ah, maybe she's human, maybe she's like an alien, maybe she's a robot. I don't really know. I don't. I don't, <laughs> care, I don't care about that. That's not important. Uh, no, it actually seems kind of important for the foundation of your relationship that you know what kind of thing she is, and that's part of the connection that you have with her. Mm. I also think that we just we see this historically. We see it around the world in different approaches to theology, that what we believe about God has huge implications for the rest of the things that we think. So how we think about the nature of the church, how we understand salvation, what we think is most fundamental about reality, even the purpose of why we exist. All these questions ultimately come down to and are affected by who we think God is. Um, So there are a lot of other, uh, what you almost might think of as more practical applications that come out of, uh, or implications of this doctrine. Yeah, you could even add a further one is that the Trinity is a point of contention between Christians and at least some non-Christians like Mm. Muslims and uh, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and so forth. Um, And so Christians who are uninformed about the doctrine are in some ways ill-equipped to have certain discussions with these other people of other faiths. Okay, so why is there even a contentious issue here about, you know, God being three in one. Like, why, why is there even a problem? So if we go think about the New Testament, and we've got these Jewish believers who are monotheists, they believe in Yahweh, the one true God, and suddenly this guy Jesus shows up on the scene, and he walks around, does all these divine things, takes on divine names, seems to be God in the flesh. 
Um, and then he talks about sending the spirit and the spirit is given a similar kind of, uh, honor and certain divine attributes. And so basically you've got in the new Testament and the early church, these people trying to take their monotheistic belief about God. There's one God, one true God and fit Jesus and the Holy spirit into that understanding of there being one God. So, um, some different ways that people did this. Some of them saw it as more what are called kind of monarchical views that you've got God the Father, who's the real God, and then Jesus and the Spirit are either like important creations or, or some kind of lesser deities, but are not actually God. Um, and then you have some who are trying to hold all three together, but they do it by either, they fail by either erring to one, too far to one side of unity and saying God is just one and kind of losing the sense of three or too far on the other side and having the three and losing the sense of there being one, one God. Okay, so you've got three ways to go wrong. Uh, you can be monarchical and say God the Father is the only real God. You can say, uh, sort of erase the Trinity and, and say, ah, uh, there's really just this sort of one God and Father, Son, Holy Spirit, uh, you just kind of brush them under the rug, or you can uh, really be sort of like a tri-theist or something like that. Uh, so do we have like a formula for what we should say, at least like a basic thing we can say about the Trinity that as a starting point that avoids all these? Yeah, so the formula that was established at the creed, in the creeds is that God is of one essence, this word usia, and three persons, hypostases. So one essence, usia, three persons, hypostases. Now these terms will come back again when we talk about Christology later. Um, but for now, we're going to look at how people take these terms and end up kind of erring in one, one direction or the other. But the essence, the person, or the essence, the usia, is the being, sort of what does it mean? Like the divinity of God, in a sense, you think about it that way. The nature of God as divine. And then the, the hypostases, the persons. Um, well, that's <laughs> how exactly we, we parse that out is part of the discussion. Um, what exactly are persons in this case um, in which they all share the divine essence and yet there's some kind of distinction going on here between Father, Son, and Spirit. So let's unpack some of these heresies. So we've got three different forms I looked at. Uh, we've got uh, modalism is the first one we'll look at, tritheism, and then uh, we'll look at some of these kind of monarchical relationships. So modalism is the erring towards unity, and the most prominent Proponent of this view was a third century priest theologian in Rome named Sibelius. It's one, one person who put forward one of these views. Uh, it was condemned uh, as heresy in 262. And basically this view taught that the three persons that are revealed in scripture, so you've got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're just different modes or aspects of God. So people believe that uh, these aren't distinct personalities that are able to interact with each other in some way or speak to each other in some way or exist simultaneously, but they're just different modes of God's self-revelation. So often this will be parsed out as you've got one God, but that God appears as the Father in creation, as the Son in redemption, and as the Spirit in sanctification. 
something like that. Um, a classic analogy that you might hear for this would be people use the image of, of water. So you've got three phases of water determined by temperature, right? You've got ice, you've got liquid, and you've got steam. So one substance, one essence, right? The water molecules are the same, <laughs> dihydrogen oxide. But if it's zero degrees Celsius or 32 degrees Fahrenheit or below, it's in a solid state. If it's 100 degrees Celsius or 212 Fahrenheit, it's in a, or above, it's in a, a gaseous state. And anywhere in the middle, it's liquid. Um, this is a bad example. <laughs> so, so why should we not be modalists? What's wrong with modalism? So with modalism, you don't have, one, you don't have three distinct hypostases. So you're already going against the formula in that sense. Yeah, so it goes against the creeds. So it goes against the creeds. So does it fail the scripture test too? So where it fails the scripture test, I think we see that in a number of places. Um, we see that, I think the one place people often point to is the baptism of Jesus. So the baptism of Jesus, Jesus who is the, the Logos, the, the second person of the Trinity, the Son, is there as Jesus Christ being baptized by John the Baptist. And you have this voice coming from heaven saying, this is my son. So already you have, already you have that relational thing, right? Son necessarily implies father. So you've got son, father. And then you have the spirit descending as a dove. Mm -hmm. So in this picture, you have all three persons of the Trinity present simultaneously. And acting and acting. relating to each other. Mm -hmm. I feel like every time Jesus is praying yeah. is also like another spot where it's like, okay, it's, is, is Jesus just talking to himself? <laughs> Doesn't seem like it. Yeah. The, in general, throughout the Gospels, it seems like Jesus speaks about the Father and to the Father as though the Father is a different person. So the modalist view isn't obviously able to capture this because it seems to have God as just this one person who is sometimes playing the role of the Father and yeah. other times the role of the Son and other times yeah. the role of the Spirit. You could say the same thing about the way Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit too. Uh, when he talks about sending a helper, uh, you know, the, if, if God were one uh, person with different modes you would think he'd say something like, I'm coming back and I'm going to be, I'm going to help you or something like that. Mm. Um, but no, I'm going to send the helper in referring to the spirit as like this other uh, person. person. And also, I, I mean, the way that the three persons are kind of treated as on the same level, like in the, um, in Matthew 28, the uh, Great Commission, where Jesus instructs the disciples, baptize uh, people in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. There it seems like you're treating them all as like three distinct something or others, mm -hmm. and as sort of on a par. Mm -hmm. And if that's right, then whatever you say about the relationship between the Son and the Father, that's going to at least suggest that something similar goes on between the Spirit and each of the other persons. Yeah, mm -hmm. and there are a number of other... Uh points in the epistles where you get other trinitarian prayers yes. like that right from paul and other writers yeah hmm. all right so if we trashed modalism. so so modalism <laughs> bad out the door if we were to go in the totally opposite direction the other end of the spectrum we'd have tritheism so this is the in a sense overemphasis overemphasis on the persons 
the diversity of the person. The diversity of the persons to the point where you actually have three different essences, right? You don't have one shared being. This, yeah, this is just basically no longer monotheism, right? So you're no longer a monotheist. You have three, three gods and why not more? Um, so like I said, this isn't technically a view that anyone really holds, but it's one of those views that is tempting for us to slip into all the time. Right, that we can, because it is such a hard thing to hold on to in our minds, this idea of God as mm-hmm. being three and in one at the same time, having these three persons and one being, and it's, it's confusing, right? It's beyond what we can fully comprehend. So it's easy for us to start to slip into this, right? You've got Father, Son, and Spirit, and they're three different agents doing different things, and you end up with not just three pers- different persons, but actually three different beings, um, it's kind of an easy trap for us to fall into. So, yeah, so this is just sort of the boundary on the other end, right, of something for us to be conscious of and aware of as we're thinking and talking about the Trinity, as we're worshiping and, and as we think about who God is and we're relating with God, that we're aware that we don't slip into this. Uh, one of the analogies that you uh, often hear for the Trinity that uh, ends up in this position is the, the egg analogies. You've got one egg, but it's got the shell and the yolk and the egg white. But in this case, you have one composite, but you really have three different substances, right? Three different usias, beings. Mm-hmm. Um, the egg, or the egg white, the yolk, and the shell are not made up of the exact same particles, right? They're, they're different particles. Um, and they're different kinds of things. And they're different so kinds of things. A shell so. is different than a, a, a yolk and so forth. Exactly. <clears throat> um, so just as the water failed for being just the same particles with no distinction, this fails for being completely different uh, types of things. Um, all right, lastly, a couple of, um, these are two of the big heresies in the early church that were around this question of the Trinity, and these are falling into these monarchical relationships. So, Can, can you remind us what the monarchical, what, what that means again? Yeah, so just the idea, you know, monarchy, you think about king, kingship, lordship, that sort of thing. It was really an attempt to maintain the holiness, the otherness, and the the oneness of God. So in some ways, you know, th- this was a very positive endeavor, right? These people wanted to maintain monotheism, and they did it, but the way they did it is by reducing the other two persons, the, the Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to lesser beings. Yeah, right. And as Justin was pointing out earlier, this is really, it's really relevant to, to think about the history of this because they're still monarchists, if you want to call them that, around today. Yeah, so we're about to look at Arianism, and I think definitely the Jehovah's Witnesses are like modern-day sort of proto-Arians in, in mm-hmm. the way they mm-hmm. talk about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but... Uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. No, I think it's definitely right. Yeah, so Arianism. Uh, who was this guy? Arius? Uh, he was a presbyter in the church in Alexandria in Egypt, and around the end of the... Fourth century, uh, sorry, third century. The presbyter is like a church elder, right? Yeah. So he was like a. So he's a like, up, yeah, leader in the church. Yeah, leader and, in the church. Yeah. And you know, again, this is relatively early on as people are trying to f- exactly figure out what does it mean to worship Jesus as God and and work this out. And so Arian taught that the pre-existent Christ was first and greatest of God's creatures, but not fully God. He's not fully divine. So, again, he's trying to hold together this idea there's one God, that God is, is holy other. 
And so how do we fit Jesus into that? Well, Jesus is certainly not just another human, but he must be like a really important being, the first being. And, and Paul talks about Jesus being the, the sort of firstborn and things being created through Christ. And so I think the idea here is God the Father creates Jesus, or the, the Word, God the Son, who has this sort of lesser status. Um, but then through Jesus creates everything. So in some ways, Aries still has this very high view of Jesus. Um, he's not trying to necessarily diminish Jesus, but ends up saying that Jesus is not actually God. And this was... Uh, basically a big part of the 4th century debates and was addressed in the Nicene Creed. And this was kind of laid out the formula uh, for Christology. So we'll get more into this actually in the last two episodes on Christology. Um, but this was tied into the original working out of the Trinity. And the last one is tied to the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And this has become known as Macedonianism or, or the... Uh, Pneumatomachian heresy, which is just <laughs> uh, pneumata is pneuma is spirit, so just Holy Spirit. Uh, this is basically this is a fourth century heresy that denied the full personhood and divinity of the Spirit. So they tend to see the Holy Spirit as like a power of God or a force of God, uh, but not actually a divine person. So yeah, the Holy Spirit is created uh, by the Son and is subordinate subordinate to the Father and the Son. So it's either a creature or, or sort of a force of God. Um, and yeah, the church rejected both of those uh, because they denied the full divinity of the other persons of the Trinity. And that's why they fit into this monarchical category. So, uh, yeah, in summary, there are a few different ways we can err as we think about the Trinity and to fall outside the boundaries of orthodoxy. We can err too far on the, the unity of God. We end up with just one being and one person. Uh, we can end up on the other side where you have three persons and you end up with basically three beings. Um, and then you have this, um, yeah, the subordination of, of Jesus or the spirit to God. And what we want to say is that God exists in these three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, that each of those persons is fully divine, is completely God, uh, and that they exist in this mutual relationship as God with the full divinity. Um, and we want to attempt to hold together this, what is kind of a paradoxical tension, right? That God is three and God is one. Um, I think one encouragement that uh, I found as we try to wrap our heads around this is that Ultimately, God is the one who is holding us. <laughs> we are not holding God. So it's not, it's not our comprehension of God that enables us to have a relationship with God. Mm. God made us. God knows us. And it's actually God's knowledge of us that enables us to have a relationship with God, not the other way around. So, yeah. Good thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if any of that as is confusing, that's okay. Um, don't need to freak out about falling into to heresy or something because you accidentally, you know, prayed some prayer wrong one time or something. That's not, not the concern. Um, but to, to try to think well about this. And so next week we're going to look at, our next episode, we're going to look at some models 
for ways we can try to understand this in a more positive way. So not just what should we not say, but what are some ways that we can think about this and sort of flesh out these relationships of three persons and one being. The sun.